Hello, I'm Simon Burton and welcome to Arts Roundup, where it's the season to be seen out and about, uplifted perhaps by the prospect of witnessing the very best in international film, or take a rare chance to radically rethink the art in your clothing, consider taking up photography, or brace yourself for some new and heart-wrenching theatre. In this edition, we preview the forthcoming film festival with Emily Boldy. Painter and clothes designer Brenda Mayo returns to Cambridge from France and offers a new take on how to make a feminine living artistic statement with the cut of your clothes. Helen Holgate introduces a new play, Kinder's Transport, that takes a child's eye view of the life of wartime child evacuees coming up at Robinson Theatre. Photographers Mark Woods Nunn and Carl Dimitri Bishop talk on taking up photography and a new exhibition on the darker side of human nature at Cambridge Arts Salon. And White House Art appeals for entrance for this year's charity arts exhibition. head is just about ready for a really good imaginative shake-up of its contents, you're currently in just the place, as the 33rd Cambridge Film Festival gears up to screen possibly its best ever lineup of inspiring work from around the world. The Film Festival's team have been busily researching and producing an excellent cross-section of new and interesting work, and will welcome a host of industry insiders, directors and celebrities to give talks on their work in varied and breathtaking locations across the city. They'll also let audiences ask questions and vote for a festival best film. Film Festival Administrator Emily Boldy introduces the series which kicks off on September the 9th and runs until the 29th. What marks this year's film festival against ones that you've worked on them before? This year's programme is actually the largest programme we've had to date. Um, so there's even more films um, than normal um, and we cover all all sorts of films, no blockbusters, uh, but big budget films, uh, films that don't have distributors, films from all around the world. Um, fantastic, and you've got some um, quite important shakers and movers um, visiting um, this year. Obviously Stephen Hawking is a local celebrity um, icon in Cambridge, and um, the film Hawking is being shown, and he's um, introducing um, part of that, isn't he, at some point? Yes, there's going to be a He'll be introducing it, there'll be a Q&A um, that was actually going to be broadcast to lots of cinema cinemas across the, the country. Um, it will be broadcast into screen one as well because because of the wheelchair um, accessibility it'll actually be done on a smaller screen. Um, but yes, there'll be a Q&A and we're really looking forward to it. Um, you've got visiting directors. I, I gather that Kevin MacDonald is coming to introduce his film, How I Live Now. Um, uh, that there are a few others who are going to sneak in and out, aren't there, during the, the course of it? Oh, absolutely. We've got, um, they're all in the process of being confirmed, but uh, we've invited a lot of people to come from, from all over the world. Um, ones that we have confirmed that we're very excited about, for example, are Roland Klick, mm. who's a, a cult German director um, from the 70s and 80s. Um, he'll be here for the screening of White Star, which is part of our, our showcase on his films, which haven't been seen very often in the UK. We have um, visiting filmmakers like Lucy Walker for The Crash Reel, Andrew Mudge for The Forgotten Kingdom. Um, there'll be a Q&A for Back to the Garden and Derek Malcolm will be doing that Q&A. So that's uh, the, the interviewer is famous in himself. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot. There's, we have world premieres, we have uh, UK premieres, um, and everybody that's coming, all the filmmakers are generally very excited and really looking forward to talking to the public. Now you've got some um, hitherto largely unseen films um, coming um, to the film festival this year. Can you give me a pick of one or two of those? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I'm, I, I don't know, I don't want to miss any of them out because mm. they're all so, mm. so special. Um, I think the, 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 
ones we're excited about are there's the young Americans uh, filmmakers. Mm. So that's uh, young directors that are making films in different ways from, from Hollywood. So we've got a strand of that. Um, we've got um, a showcase of Roland Click's films, which uh, haven't been seen often in the UK. Then we have um, national cinema-specific strands, our German cinema strand, which is... As a, as a regular feature of the Cambridge Film Festival because um, we have our international programmer also works for the Berlin Festival mm. so she's got insider's knowledge on, yeah. the, on the best films coming out of Germany. Um, she's also programmed a strand called Eastern Views mm. which is about um, countries from Eastern Europe and the really interesting films that are coming out of them um, and kind of the impact of communism on the cinema that they're producing now. Um, then we have the second year of the Catalan Strand, Catalan Cinema, um, for which we've got a director coming to the film The Redemption of Fishes. Um, we've got Iranian films. Um, and then um, another a strand that um, we're really looking forward to is our music documentary strand, um, which is packed full of um, a wide range of documentaries. And we're very lucky to have... We've got a film um, on Thomas Dolby, and he'll be coming to play a live set after the film and then we've also got John Otway coming so uh, fans of those two uh, musicians it's definitely uh, not to be missed we also have our usual strand of called micro cinema which is actually it's about budget filmmaking which is out of the normal um, industry path mm. uh, this one we're focusing on British eccentrics mm. it's the the subtitle to the to the strand um, with the films particularly with the films of John Sampson and Mike, Wall- and Mike Wallington and John Peirce, who um, some people might have heard of. Mm. Uh, they're definitely different and daring and, yeah, maybe a bit naughty. Um, then we have our usual uh, uh, specially programmed selection of shorts. Um, those are a lot of films that have been submitted to the festival. Um, our shorts programmer watches over 400 films that have been submitted and then makes these five strands. And as part of the um, short, one of the shorts programs, uh, we've got a, a film that a short film which is about 25 minutes long, uh, but we're showing just by itself because it's so powerful. Called uh, "Just Before Losing Everything," and you can actually get in to see that for free. Um, if you have a ticket to any of the other short films. So we'd like people to go along to those. Uh, And then (laughs) finally, um, we've got a couple of films that might interest the Cambridge audience in particular, which we've uh, programmed in hand with uh, Hawking film, which are um, Particle Fever, um, The Lebanese Rocket Society, and uh, Google and the World Brain. So those are kind of science subjects films um, with and they'll have some some visitors as well so a lot of um, decision making must have gone behind choosing that mix to make it a really highly spiced affair what happened behind the scenes well we've got a team of programmers Mm. uh, that work all around the year Um, they attend as many different film festivals as possible very big ones like Cannes and Berlin um, and Venice Transylvanian Film Festival um, and Basically, they curate programs, they have areas of interest, and they then pick the best films that they find in these film festivals and curate the program especially for Cambridge. So, um, yes, it's great. So there's always going to be films that some people like more than others. They really, I mean, Tony Jones, the festival director, Mm. has the ultimate say, but uh, the programmers Mm. do, do the work for their own strands. Um, it's great to have the BFI um, um, uh, uh, playing a part in the film festival, but not many people realise that the BFI have established themselves in the central library now, and they have a massive library of films that you can get into. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's it's not very well signposted, mm-hmm. but it's it's an incredible resource that is in the in the central library, the BFI Mediatek, where you can go and for free uh, watch any film from the, the BFI back catalogue that's been digitised. Uh, so you've got a wealth of British films and uh, you could spend hours in there and it's all free. One thing not to forget about the BFI is that they're our main uh, sponsors. So without the BFI and without the funding from the BFI, we wouldn't be able to do the film festival. You do have a number of other sponsors as well. Who are they? Yeah, oh. we've got um, TTP, mm-hmm. um, their uh, loyal supporters, uh, Studio 24 that do our website. Cambridge Assessment, mm. who have been uh, supporting our outdoor screenings. 
Chevrolet that give us the festival cars, uh, Deluca that's our official fe festival restaurant, the city council. Um, yes, there's a lot of support from a lot of groups. Um, Emily um, Boulding, thank you very much indeed for talking to Cambridge 105. Thanks. Thank you. To tap into the festival programme and resources, go to camfilmfest.com for your web connections. April in Paris Chestnuts in blossom Holiday tables Under the trees April in Paris This is a feeling No and have the confidence to try something a bit daring and new by way of designer clothing, why not experiment with sculptural clothing made by an artist that's both a living and moving art form and something comfortable that reflects your inner profile? Artist and clothes designer Brenda Mayo has recently returned to Cambridge from living and working in southwest France and discovered her artistic experiments with material took her in new directions which simply have to be explored because of their feminine and tactile nature. Here I am in um, Mount Pleasant in the north of Cambridge at the top of Castle Hill in a rather splendid apartment with um, artist Brenda Mayo um, who has recently returned um, from living a very stylish life um, in the south of France. Brenda, hello. Hello. I wouldn't say stylish mm. exactly. It was extremely remote mm. and very rustic, mm. but uh, memorable. Um, what was the name of this wonderful village that you were living in? Because it's right up in the hills. It has it? a very curious name of Davajon, mm. and uh, curious to the French in addition to, to the English. It's exactly halfway between Carcassonne and Perpignan. Um, and there you've been designing um, your um, your clothing as well as being a painter. That's right, mm -hmm. yes. Well, I'll explain how I came to be devoting so much time to designing and making clothes. When I lived in Cambridge and taught here in Cambridge, I would 
make clothes after I finished the teaching term and before I could get going again with my painting. So I would sit at the sewing machine with my thoughts in the studio, but mm, sewing and, and handling material, which is what I particularly like doing. And when I went to France, the interface between teaching and retiring was a mm, significant of a significant scale. So I started devoting more and more time to the business of handling fabrics and making clothing, and in fact found in um, a brocante, as it's called, like a kind of flea market, say. Um, a huge bolt of old French linen and I used this French linen to invent a garment um, which I found uh, a link to the world of the Cathars within. The Cathar castles are very prominent within that zone of France where I was living in the foothills of the Pyrenees and so I had the lifestyle of the Cathars kind of lingering in the back of my mind and I made this very rustic very oddly shaped garment um, which uh, for me had some sort of resonance with uh, the medieval period. And after some months, I discovered that painting hadn't quite got going again, and I was still making the clothing and beginning to invent all sorts of quite interesting shapes. And was there a moment when the art and the clothing just came together and you, you kind of you, you, you evolved into something new? It, it, it became sculptural. Hmm. The clothing was less to do with, with painting, as it was my principal background, but much more to do with sculpted forms. And I also have a bit of a background with dance and the idea of how one moves when wearing clothing began to determine to some extent how I manipulated the fabric, um, what sort of fabrics I chose to work with, hmm. and so on. So, so you were given, given this um, great um, impression by the surroundings, uh, and then you effectively made living art within them. In a way, yes, one could say that. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so things that, that have a, a, a life of their own, even when not being worn. Mm -hmm. Things that you could actually enjoy seeing hanging on the wall, perhaps. Um, looking at your clothing, it, it is wonderfully bright. It's very, very bold. It's mm -hmm. very, very um, tasteful. Um, and it has um, a lovely aesthetic. Um, does, does that translate to a place like Cambridge, do you think, when you take it out of that context? Um, well, to pick up on the idea, that your mention of the, the colour and so on, um, that particular um, element is, is, is stimulated by my enthusiasm for kimonos and Japanese um, traditional garments, mm. where you notice the most extraordinary combination of pattern and colour. Mm -hmm. um, very small, checkered fabrics with lucid and um, curvilinear floral designs um, reference to the to the natural world sort of plant forms and insect forms and so on all coming together within an, a particular garment a single garment for example a kimono mm. which is a very very simple shape bringing together all these patterns and textures mm. how that relates to Cambridge um, that's an open question. Uh, it, they, they, they seem to have, I mean, they're, they're black and whites in a kind of oriental way, but they have a kind of a crispness mm -hmm. that go with um, mm -hmm. feelings of feeling comfortable with yourself for, for yes. inner peace um, and feeling um, relaxed, bright mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and happy mm -hmm. in the way that mm -hmm. many oriental art. Do you art. mean black and white in the sense of that graphic, yes. very graphic sense yes, that I they do, have, definitely. not necessarily black and mm. white in terms of colour? Yeah. Um, I think one has to have a certain degree of, we'll say, confidence, certainly comfort within the garment because it has its own identity, it has a characteristic quite distinctive and if one feels hesitant about um, carrying off something which is quite striking, 
then um, one might have to wait for the right moment. One wakes up some mornings and feels, you know, you just want to hide. Other days you feel, oh, I'd like to be enveloped Mm. in that kind of sculpted form. Um, You have to be quite daring to to wear clothes that are a bit out of the ordinary. Is that a thing about, when you you mentioned confidence, but it's also about having a certain kind of maturity, isn't it? I think that's absolutely right, yes. Because I think youngsters tend to, they, they need to be similar to their mm. peer group. Yeah. As one matures, mm. then there's a, one takes on a confidence about one's personal identity. identity yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, um, French um, clothing, um, that they do, um, they ha- they do have a flair for femininity, don't they, in they the clothing? Do, and you've been do. learning from that, haven't you? I have been learning from that, mm. but what I've actually learned is that the French can be quite conservative. Mm. They have a certain degree of chic, um, but I wouldn't say that they naturally tumble to something that's as innovative and um, individual as the things that that I'm 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 making. Um, can you take me through the process of once you become um, inspired and you get an, a, an idea for something, mm-hmm. how does it come together mm-hmm. into one of your cl- what, items? I have a huge collection of fabrics mm. and the manner in which it works is, is something like this. The fabrics are like a palette of colour and I keep everything as visible as possible, which actually necessitates a certain level of chaos. And I seize on combinations of of texture and colour and bring those together. That's often, the colour and texture is very often the the springboard. Then I have a a mannequin stand, a rather beautiful, um, it's about 80 years old, what's called a Stockman, which Mm. is a brand name. Um, is a magnificent Edwardian form and I drape the fabrics around the form and discover how the fabrics move and how they how they want to fall and how they um, sit comfortably or not mm. with each other I might have to make some radical mm-hmm. changes so I'm experimenting with the forms as I go along um, the forms emerge from the, the quality of the fabrics mm. Um, and and uh, it is very much about um, creating that. I mean, some of your your costumes have large folds in them, mm. um, and um, they have very bold designs. Mm-hmm. They, they have lots of ruffles and, and things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. uh, and that gives you very much a sense of of being female as well, isn't it? Ah, it's, it's just, yes, it's, that's it's, an interesting yeah, observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they're fluid. Yeah. Um, but not always. Yeah. I've also worked with a fabric that's um, that I actually found in Paris, and it's a quite it's a quite rigid fabric. But and people love it. It's not that easy to wear. It has a certain degree of rigidity, so which is much more, in a way, can lend itself to something slightly military in a curious yeah. way. Um, but it it also has a lovely sound mm. and it rustles and I think that might be the the the, the female yeah. in within the fabric. Um, you also um, paint. Um, obviously, you're, you're, I mean the, the paintings you do are, are wonderful um, abstracts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're very um, pleasing to the eye. I mean, I have to say that they they have lovely um, aesthetics. They have a kind of um, a faded feel about them. Can you tell me about those? Because they're things like um, fountains, birds, mm, and flowers, mm. and abstract shapes. Um, yeah. How do those work? Well, to just to go back, when I first started painting, I was making very, um, well, it's always been abstract, but it was much more closely linked to German abstract expressionism and very bright colours. And there came a point at which I decided, you know, the level of colour almost exhausted itself. And I thought, right, I'm going back to something much more spare and elemental. I spent some time in the desert in Israel, also in Morocco. And in that time, I became very, very absorbed by the minimal color of, of the sand color, the grays, the stone, very the Hamada of, of uh, Morocco, very subdued um, elemental colors. And so I tossed out mm. all the color in the painting and started making these very minimal um, abstracts with very little color. Mm. With hindsight, I can see now, this is work I was making in the 90s, they're just like textiles. They look, they ha- have such a striking resemblance to, to uh, veils of very translucent 
fabric. And, and you're, you're trying to get down to a sense of humble purity yeah. um, in them, which, which is great. And the themes of purity um, and regeneration are very important to you, aren't mm-hmm. they? Uh, as well as having some connotations of, of religious backdrop to that yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm very interested in the enclosed garden, yeah. of, uh, traditionally of, of, the, of the Virgin Mary, a very specific location. Mm. Uh, to do with fecundity and and certainly re- regeneration, and the reference to the natural world, the abundance of flowers, of insects, of birds. Hmm. I think that links back to my interest in the the motifs of the of the um, the Japanese textiles hmm. tradition. Are you working on um, new clothing and new paintings at the moment? That are Certainly gonna, new yeah. clothing yeah. and an idea to introduce uh, visual elements that I have created within the clothing hmm. but that's um, in parenthesis at the moment. That, mm-hmm. that involves a certain amount of technical mm. assistance so I'm um, holding uh, back uh, on that. Are, are you having any shows or exhibitions in Cambridge in the next few months? Not or? in no. the immediate no. future. Certainly at some point next summer I'll be showing in London at mm. some point towards the later part of this year. Well, we're already mm. in the last six months. Um, and I'll be showing my work at Persephone Books mm. in Lambs Conduit Street in London. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be a vernissage, an opening in the museum in Denmark yep. in October, but nothing specific to Cambridge. Mm-hmm. At but the moment. People can follow you, you on your website. That's true. Um, can you give me the web address for that? www.brenda-mayo-design.com Great stuff. Um, and obviously, the, to, to cap it all off, you have another talent, which is that you're a musician. Um, oh, and you, no. you're you currently learning to play the, the cello. Yeah. Um, so can, can we hear a little bit of a cello? I will try. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
The nightmare of being separated from your family during the Holocaust of World War II was a real-life drama few could fully appreciate nowadays in its life-changing magnitude. I've been hearing about a new play set to be staged at the Robinson Theatre in Hills Road on the 14th and 15th of October, whose protagonist is a nine-year-old Jewish girl called Eva, who's smuggled out of Nazi Germany and sent to England to an uncertain future as one of a group of 10,000 children. Kinder's Transport is an emotive play performed by the combined actors of Cambridge and looks set to attract considerable interest. The production team's Helen Holgate is an actress, mother of two, and also a former Addenbrooke's hospital nurse. She plays Eva's mother, Helga. Helen, first of all, tell me about the combined actors of Cambridge. Um, who are they and what do they do? We are a production company. Mm. We are a committee which invites directors to present um, the plays that they would they would like to direct. Um, as a committee, we, we read the plays that they submit, um, we listen to the director and their ideas for their production, and then as a committee we decide what, um, what really we'd like to support. Um, it's lovely because we get, to, we get to support directors to maybe choose plays that aren't as well known and that on an, wouldn't usually be seen on an amateur stage. And what was your last production? Last production was The Killing of Sister George, mm -hmm. um, which was on at the ADC. Um, and was yeah it was a was a fantastic production. Okay, now we, we've come here to talk about um, Kinder's Transport. Um, yes. That sounds like um, a, a very interesting and very emotive project. Can you tell me a bit about it? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Kinder's Transport. It's written by Diane Samuels, and it's telling the story of one girl, Ava, who was one of the you know it's a, it's a fictional story, but it's it's based really um, you know on the true accounts of of the Kindertransport. Um, in the year preceding the Second World War, approximately 10,000 Jewish children were evacuated um, from Germany. The life had become extremely difficult um, for the Jewish population. Um, there was pretty much a free-for-all um, from the Nazis on the Jewish people. And luckily, you know, thankfully, um, Great Britain agreed to take in um, as many sort of, of the, the Jewish children as they could, and 10,000 children got out before the outbreak of the Second World War. It, it's a, a parent's ultimate nightmare, isn't it? Having it is. their child um, removed from them, um, yeah. presumably in this direction to a safe place. But that yes. was one of the biggest dramas of the Second World War, wasn't it? Yes, really? I mean, how as a parent do you make that decision? Mm -hmm. And how awful must life be and how big must that threat be that you you take that choice to send your child away to to a completely different country where a lot of them wouldn't even have known the language they wouldn't know anyone out there um, and they had they had to fight hard to get their places they had to actually have a 50 pound bond to even do it and um, you know and and get their sort of temporary visas all in order so the 10,000 that did were actually very lucky I believe it was about 1.5 million hmm children that, that died in the camps so 10,000 very lucky children. Um, and obviously an incredible ordeal for them to go through and a heart-wrenching tale but it yes. also created all kinds of strange relationships and experiences as well. I, mean, I, I was recently um, watching um, a, a veteran of the Second World War who was saying that in fact when complete strangers take you in and mm. help you in dire um, mm. situations it creates a, an amazing bond between you and those people who start off as strangers and then become completely part of your life. I c yeah that's just the thing I mean it changed the direction of so many families and Kinder Transport really does deal with that that sense of loss and that sense of separation and that sense of identity and how that then translates not into just your generation but into the generations that follow that. Um, can you tell me about some of the highlights of the play these are presumably children living off their wits. Um, uh... Yeah I mean it's it is a very emotive very very emotive play and it, it has but it has some lovely moments it has some some real humor and you know obviously undercurrent is the, the mother-daughter relationship um i mean there are some lovely moments um with with ava sort of as you see her trying to adjust to her new life new life in england and you sort of see some of the you know the um the unthinking attitudes and everything that that a lot of the people at the time did have, um, even though these children were, bought, were brought over into safety, the, there was still obviously a, a lot of uncertainty about these these children that were in the end from Germany. 
Um, and you know, she's got to be quite. You've got to be quite a strong character, really, to to get through that. Um, and also, obviously, there were the un- unlucky ones who had to suffer um, uh, the rat catchers of Nazi propaganda. Well, there, there is actually the theme of the rat catcher mm, that runs mm, through mm. Kinder Transport. Um, it's it started in our young little girl Ava's mind when her her mother Helga, who I play, reads her on her last night the rat catchers story mm-hmm. which is what Ava wants not not really the kind of story her mum wants mm. to read to her but um, you know what children what, what is the rat catcher story exactly well the rat catcher it's it's like this the sort of Pied Piper of, of Hamelin um, yeah. um, and it's it's where he basically takes all the children you know he leads the children away they they oh, sorry, it is a, that fairy tale. It I, is I, that fairy I, I, tale. I, 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 but I, 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 in Kinder Transport, mm. then the rat catcher takes on somewhat of a mythical role mm. and he represents everyone's deepest, darkest fears, mm. uh, uh. Which, which for Ava is that she is going to be taken mm. taken away. So, so who are the main characters? Ava is the protagonist, is she? Ava uh, is the protagonist, famous, yeah. yeah. We've got a, a, a lovely um, young actress, Amelia, who's playing her. And she she starts off the play at nine years old in Germany and obviously then then goes over to England and um, Emilia finishes playing her when she's 17 years old. Um, then I play Helga, who is Ava's mother, who obviously has the, the heartbreaking mm. um, decision to send her away and try and prepare her for that journey. Um, there's also Lil, who is, is the lovely foster mother that takes mm. Ava in. Um, and and then then there's a, a shift somewhat in in the story in the timeline where the play sort of jumps to the 1970s um, and we actually see Ava grown up um, turn to Germany. Does this play take you off in a direction that people haven't seen before? Yeah, that- I think it. I think it does. Mm. I'm going to be completely honest. Before I started doing Kinder Transport, mm. I had never even I'd never heard mm. I'd never heard of um, you know Kinder Transport. I'd never mm. heard of these Jewish children that that had been rescued before the Second World War, and I've I've never sort of seen another play or another film that has looked specifically at that separation and at that child's journey and how that that continues that loss and that separation continues to affect not only her but but her you know the generations that follow as well kinder's transport it sounds like an absolutely fabulously interesting play helen Holgate, thank you very much indeed for telling us about it thank you very much She's a girl in a world She's moving as fast as she goes Loves her mom and her dad The only secure that she knows But at night she's alone She's dreaming of somebody new Her someone for to hold She's praying the dream will come true Show me the way show me show me how help me be brave for love show me the way show me tell me how what do you say there's a pain in her She's trying so hard to unwind Makes her cry in the night When visions so real make her blind Wants to break through the fear Erasing the scars from within Start a new kind of thing She's down and she's praying again Show me Turning the key, locking the door 
You don't have to own an expensive camera to have the minerals to take up photography seriously, just a will to see things differently. That's the advice of Cambridge photography teacher Mark Woods Nunn, who's currently running a new set of workshops starting this September. He joined me with Carl Dimitri Bishop, a photographer about to open a show at Cambridge Arts Salon, exploring the darker side of the human psyche and opening with a private view on September the 6th. Mark, you're um, about to um, do something interesting. Uh, tell me what it is exactly. You're, you're showing the, 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 the products of a workshop that you've been running, is that right? Um, well, we're actually going to have an exhibition at the end of October, which is based upon work that I've had from students over the last year or so. Um, various different types of work in terms of photography, different levels of experience as well. And uh, yeah, that's gonna be interesting. Uh, now in the past, you were doing things like um, photographing people who had had some um, traumas in their lives and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, some really um, uh, um, incredible images that you got there where you caught them at the, the moment of recovery, you Thank know, you. when the spirit and the wind came back into them. Yeah. Um, what have you been doing since then um, with your photography? Okay, so what's coming up is much more of a mixed bag. This is open to anyone. Mm. It's angled for complete beginners. Um, we're going to walk through the basics of photography, a little bit about the history. But the idea is that someone can come along to that, know next to nothing, and at the end of it be able to produce some kind of quality work that could be shown in an exhibition piece. There's lots of different directions people can take their photography, and once they have have those basic skills um, aren't there can you tell Absolutely. me a, a little bit about the range of different things that people can pursue as it were um, if their interest takes them one way or another okay so we can go from real abstract uh, macro work making the everyday mundane look really interesting down to um, personal issues talking to people which is kind of my side of photography mm. uh, down to landscape and urbanscape mm. so it's a bit of a mix really um, the exhibition that will be shown later at the end of October uh, will display that. So there'll be people who I've taught previously who will have very mixed approach, mm. um, but all will have gained some confidence. They've come from, you know, very basic to almost advanced. Is it a good idea to have a theme in mind when you come to a, um, a project like that, that you already have some idea uh, of the kind of thing that you want to do, be it street photography, be it, um, it uh, the, the more glamorous side of life or, or, or any other side of life? Is it, is it a good idea to have like one thing going on in your mind when you start off and, and then use that as your kind of starting point? Or Absolutely. I mean, mm. it can be very, very helpful. Um, I think often putting limitations on us stimulates creativity. Sometimes people think well where on earth do I start so it's good to have a focus point and then you know sky's your limit you go away with it however you want to so, so describe the induction session what happens at one of those <laughs> <laughs> well, we put blindfolds and then our um, induction session it's more I start off with people telling me what they think makes a good photograph and what is photography and from there usually we have like a huge discussion and get an idea um, for where people are coming from because people mostly have uh, different opinions, mm. different approaches. It's not necessary, is it, to have a particularly good camera to be a good photographer? Absolutely not. No. Um, I mean, I've, you've seen previous work we've done, we've mm. done stuff with beer cans. So it's, it's really knowing what makes a good image. Obviously, uh, the more technically advanced a camera is, you would have tend to have more control and you can achieve different effects but ultimately in, in terms of photography you as the photographer is the most important thing followed by the subject matter okay what, what's this event going to show and where is it where can people come along okay so the actual workshop starts on the 30th of september mm. and people can just get in touch with me and do that uh, the actual exhibition starts on the 31st of october so a month or so afterwards great a great opportunity to get into photography and learn what it's all about and carl bishop you you um are about to open a new exhibition at cambridge arts salon um and you have um a theme that's perhaps a little bit unexpected what is that um a darker theme mm. Uh, fairy tales, the unexplained things that go bump in the night. So, so it's things that that, that spook you, basically. Yeah, yeah, people fear what they don't understand, and that's what I like—the mystery. Mm. Um, did, did you find um, in your childhood that those things interested you particularly? I mean, what's under the bed? What's what's behind this wardrobe? The the the, the wardrobe door. Um, what what if there is a is a wicked witch out there or whatever? Is it is it that kind of inspiration that's yeah that's definitely. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was my favourite thing. Whenever I got taken to the cinema to see a Disney film, for example, The Little Mermaid, like Ursula was my favourite character because she was evil and 
So, so can you tell me a bit about some of the images that are going to be there in your exhibition? Um, there's going to be a collection of images mm. um, over the last couple of years. This is my first show, actually, so it's going to be a collection of all different types of things I've been working on. Uh, lots of different themes there. Mm. So th those are mainly sort of eerie things, um, are, are they? Yeah, yeah. 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 Local legends, um, for example, the Gogmagogs, yeah. the Buried Gods, uh, lots of Cambridge-related stuff as well. And how do you capture that in a photograph? I mean, what do you try to do? What do I try to do? Mm. Uh, lots of different things. Mm. Uh, first of all, I like to read up about what I want to take photos on. Mm. And then I use lots of different magical items to try and create the different style of photos and, and do you just like notice things that that you think gosh that might unnerve somebody you know and, and then explore it is that something you do a lot yeah of? definitely yeah 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 <clears throat> uh, and that's at cambridge art salon what, what's the actual dates for that that's on the 6th of september that's mm. the private view that starts at, starts at 6 30 and then it runs till the 18th of september so it's on for two weeks how did you get involved in photography in the first place were you um were you at a session like mark woods none has just described did it, is that actually, how you got into it or? i actually did a session at hills road a couple of years ago oh, yeah, yeah. um it was very good you should all attend uh, <laughs> um it's something i just fell into i've always enjoyed taking photos i've always been good at art at school it was the only mm. subject i enjoyed really um, I went to China a couple of years ago and took loads of good photos and it's just started from there really. Mm -hmm. uh, and and um, spine chilling um, things, do you try to actually invoke evoke a bit of fear in people? Or uh, yeah. yeah, my you main do. interest is you take a photo and you can't quite tell or put your finger on what it is. Mm -hmm. But then people um, see different stories in it which is quite interesting. And, and who are your subjects normally, typically? Um, normally my friends because yeah. they understand what I want and mm. it's just like a chilled environment and we all kind of run around and mess around it's kind of fun and what are the show pieces the highlights the, the photographs you're most proud of ah uh, that's a different question there's um all the lovers which is the new series i've worked on which is a bit like a self-portrait really collection and they're yeah. pictures of me mm -hmm. pictures of you yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so so um if people want to get in touch with you they want to engage with this photography where do they go okay you can contact me on my email address which is mjwoodsnun at gmail.com or give me a call on my mobile which is 07709446647 there will also be something in the art salon as well okay, okay great and you um, again the Cambridge Art Salon website is a good place to visit and also www.carldimitribishop.com I must have a look at that um, thank you both very much indeed for coming in to tell 105 about your, your, your projects that's great thank you. thank you you're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105 having a go at your very first piece of artwork or keeping your hand in as something of a past master or perhaps a feeling philanthropic as an established artist you're being invited to take part in a charity art exhibition founder of independent arts centre Whitehouse Arts Caroline Amory has been showing me some early entries to Magic of the Ordinary a fundraiser for local charity Rowan and SOS Children's Villages taking place at Chesterton Community College in mid-November She's appealing early for entrance to make something unique and donate it before November the 4th. A couple of years ago we did a, a, a similar exhibition uh, and to our delight it was a great success and we raised 11, over £11,000 and all the proceeds went to SOS Children's Villages in, in Zambia. We've always supported them and we knew that they were building a village in Chipata in Zambia for... AIDS orphans and we wanted to give a slightly more substantial contribution um, and because we have a lot of fun here we thought we'd like to share uh, you know some of the 
excitement with children. Um, now you're currently um, appealing for people um, with an interest in this to um, to take part in it um, and do something um, specific. What is it that you're asking people to do? Uh, what we're doing is we're asking anybody, and this is non-selective, anybody who wishes to, uh, to do a ca- to buy a canvas from us, which is twelve inches square, um, and do whatever they want upon it, um, either painting or drawing or um, anything sculptural using ceramics or metal, anything at all, as long as they keep within the twelve-inch uh, frame. You can take the canvas off and use the space in between or use it as a little shelf or whatever you want to do but we then sell it. Um, we're hoping to have this, ex- well we are having this exhibition in November uh, 16th and 17th of November at Chesterton Community College and all uh, the canvases are sold for a flat rate of £45 um, whether people are experienced, local artists, or whether people have never done it before. And it's always done anonymously, so nobody uh, has their name upon it, although the purchaser can find out who they've bought from by looking at the back once they've got it from the wall. OK, we've got, we've got four entries in front of us here. Can you just take us through um, what they are? They look absolutely wonderful. You've got yes. um, a beautiful, um, very, very colourful um, uh, portrait there. Um, do you know who that's of? Yes, <laughs> that, that's of, that actually was sent in by somebody from the West Country because we have quite a wide range yeah, of people. And he's a photographer and he's managed to, he's taken a, picture of a very famous local drummer from Bristol and he's managed to incorporate it with a a very subtle small red square and the picture's called Red Square. Mm. And Um, and you've got some very wacky things, you've got something with Lego there um, put onto a canvas um, which looks um, rather amusing, some Lego figures, um, uh, Lego men do you call those? There's a little (laughs) Lego men, Um, in fact I, I, I think the ordinary is really sweetly mm. characterised by these little Lego mm. fat, and and the way it's put on there is mm. is magical. It's very unusual, and mm. and I think it's very striking. Uh, why are you helping um, Rowan? Because that's a very interesting charity as well, isn't yes. it? Well, Rowan is a local arts charity which provides a safe and creative and a unique environment where learning disabled adults under the direction of artists, that's the important thing, Mm. and craftspeople who are skilled in their own right, can thrive and grow themselves artistically and contribute to a larger project or their own um, artwork. So it's a very, um, and it obviously it will then increase their self-esteem and and is quite often a bridging towards uh, a job, a simple job in the community, because they come on their own steam, they join in, and a lot of their work is sold. In fact, Anglesey Abbey has all their signage done by Rowan students, and there's lots of um, there's various churches around the area who use their beautifully carved artifacts for decorating their churches. Um, I hope it's a huge success. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks. time to take a brief look at shows coming up in the city in September. Agatha Christie's Mousetrap opens at the Corn Exchange on September the 16th, the longest running theatre show on earth. A group of people are trapped by snow in a country house and murder most foul ensues. At the ADC Theatre, an adaptation of Shakespeare's Measure for Measure opens on September the 4th, but it isn't quite what it seems in terms of a sleaze backdrop and an American take on the play. 
Noel Coward's Fallen Angels, a tale of champagne fueled revelry, opens at the Arts Theatre on September the 23rd. And that brings us to the end of today's programme. I'm Simon Burton, and I hope you've enjoyed listening in to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105. Smile.